Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, May 19th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. If you are a golf fan, this weekend is the PGA Championship at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. And coincidentally, my colleague Vince Lisi is the key private bank market leader for Rochester and Buffalo. So if you need a person to contact, give Vince a call. He's a great guy. And with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of financial experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity and more, each of them champions in their own field. Steve Haight, Head of Equities. Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Tina Myers, Director of Financial Planning. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealthinsights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's market activity, we continue to see conversation occur in Washington, D.C. with regard to the debt ceiling, although the progress that has been made this week is not necessarily enough to close the deal as we think about the June 1st deadline quickly approaching, according to Janet Yellen. As far as the economic calendar, the calendar was very light this week, although we have three data points of interest to share with you. Number one, starting with retail sales earlier in the week, we're up 0.4% month over month for the month of April, which was slightly below expectations, but positive nonetheless, especially given the fact that both March and February were negative numbers, even though they recently got revised upward. It's a good sign that there has been some resilience in overall retail sales relative to what's happening with the consumer. Second, we saw industrial production rise 0.5% in April after two previous months of basically flat activity. So good to see that industrial production and manufacturing across the nation have popped up a little bit in the month of April. And finally, yesterday, initial unemployment claims for the prior week came in at 242,000, down from an odd increase last week, and basically flat for the past four weeks, given that the four-week average is just around 244,000 again showing some signs of resiliency in the overall jobs market. So as we turn to our panel today for their insights, let's start with Steve with his observations on what might be happening within the retail sales numbers that we just reported as it might compare and contrast to some of the numbers coming out of the retail stocks. In addition, Steve, give us your overall insight on what you see happening in the overall stock market this week. Well, Brian, you're right. It's been a very slow week for economic numbers other than those retail sales numbers which you know came in and uh made the market kind of really not do too much either uh, you know, we've we've been uh in this sideways trading range for quite a while now and and doesn't really matter what the economic numbers have been there's not been anything to break it out to the upside however um finally today we are finally getting through that 4,200 level that we've kind of zeroed in on for the past six weeks or so. Um, largely, it's not been on the back of the, the actual economic numbers, like the retail sales numbers that have been reported, but it's optimism that we're finally going to get through this debt ceiling situation. Um, there's been a, a real kind of pivot in the market expectations in the last 48 hours or so that there is going to be something taken care of on that debt ceiling side out of DC, kind of eliminating maybe a, 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 
a negative outcome that the market had had started to price in a little bit and kind of at least had been holding us back to the upside. So, you know, really we saw yesterday quite a an interesting market because we had growth, we had value. I literally had every basket on my screen, uh, all trading green. Uh, at the end of the day, it was very broad based. That's the first time we've seen that in quite a while too. Um, and again, I think it was clearly driven by um, in investor sentiment warming up um, to the idea that there's going to be a deal on the debt ceiling. Um, and then, then you start to get the people chasing their their tails around trying to get money back into the market, um, and that's how you how you how you get this breakout. Now, where where can we go from here if we continue to hold? You know, I think that uh, I, I've mentioned to you before in passing that we could see this extend up toward 4325 to 4400 um, quite easily. Um, and, and frankly, that takes us to 19 times, uh, 19 and a half times forward earnings on the S&P, which is not um, which is not extreme. So you know, we've got a lot of optimism also on this AI theme in the market. And the market's move has definitely been powered by uh, all of these mega cap tech names. And it really does seem that they're starting to get to, to be some kind of AI premium built into, you know, the, the Microsoft, Apple's, Google's of the world. Um, and, you know, whether that is sustainable long-term is a, is a different question, but clearly near-term, there's a lot of optimism on that theme too. Um, and we're, we've seen um, significant buying in, in the mega cap tech names uh, over the last week, which has helped power this rally higher. So, you know, as we head toward the end of May, um, certainly doesn't look like we're in a sell in May configuration right now. Well, Rajiv, let's turn to you. And it was a little bit surprising to me that there were so many Fed speakers on the circuit this week, giving their commentary on what's happening in the environment, given that the next Fed meeting is still about four weeks away from June 13th and 14th. So what are your thoughts on what they're saying? And what do you see in the overall fixed income markets? And very true, Brian. I mean, at, at, at that so close to the FOMC meeting, and we're seeing so much chatter coming out of Fed members. Uh, we continued to hear from Fed members uh, throughout the week. Uh, late last week, we heard from Richmond Fed President Barkin. Uh, he was stating that uh, monthly inflation readings are not consistent with where he'd like to see inflation right now. So he thinks that inflation remains sticky, and he is open to more rate hikes. Uh, we had Governor Jefferson come over and talk about pretty much the same thing. Inflation labeled it as discouraging. The progress, it was very discouraging to him. And again, this week we had over 15 Fed members come to come to the tape and really start speaking. And, and, and you know, the important, and because of the very important focus of the market, uh, notable of those Fed speak members were uh, Atlanta President Bostic's take and his pushback on the market expectations of Fed cuts this year. He cautioned that against, uh, you know, the market's Pretty much talking about Fed rate cuts happening this year, and he kind of cautioned the market against that and said that they're not ready to do any uh, cuts this year. Uh, they're still thinking that inflation needs to cool down further. And if you sift through all the Fed speak that we've had this week, the general theme was that inflation remains too high, and uh, most members favored that a pause perhaps, but none of them are talking about a cut right now. And the markets did not like to hear that. The markets are looking to hear some kind of uh, notion out coming out of the Fed that uh, there would be a cut. Uh, sometime this year. And that's where the market's uh, pretty much at. So you saw a Chicago Fed member, Goolsby, state that he was pretty close in the last Fed meeting to dissent from other Fed members. That was an interesting take. Uh, he also further mentioned that, you know, 
He was going to descend and decide to go along with the Fed members, but he also feels that uh, the impact left from those 500 basis points of rate hikes has still not fully been uh, felt by the market and still needs to kind of work its way through the market, work its way through the inflation data that we're seeing. Uh, that did help the market a little bit, but not really enough. I think the really general theme that we're seeing from these Fed members is that they're not, uh, they're not really happy with the inflation numbers that, that are there right now. And that might lead more to a notion of a pause. I don't think the market's anticipating that the Fed's going to start tightening again or further tightening. But I do think the market was really looking for that, that talk about a cut. Uh, that impact of Fed speak, we saw it on the yield curve. We saw the two-year Treasury note yield move about 31 basis points higher this, this week to 4.33%. Uh, uh, we also saw the 10-year Treasury note yield rise another 20 basis points this week to 3.7%. So again, we see that volatility in, in the rates market. We see it substantially in the two-year, and that has a lot to do with Fed policy. We see the 10-year, which is sensitive to the overall economy. So both of this has caused rates to move uh, further higher this, uh, this week. If we turn our attention to credit markets, the impact on credit markets was pretty muted. Uh, investment rate spreads, they remained contained during the week. Credit spreads moved about one basis point tighter. Uh, high yield, on the other hand, uh, moved about seven basis points wider this week. So again, I feel that we continue to advocate for high quality issuer names. It's very important in this market to insulate yourself from these kind of credit swings that we may see in the market. Uh, higher rated uh, quality issuers are the way that uh, we'd like to position ourselves. And we also feel that liquidity is extremely important as we enter into a period where we could see uh, liquidity being even more important with the recessionary scenario. Hey, Rajiv, I have a question for you. You know, when you take a look at the credit markets, I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting to me this week has been to watch this kind of risk on tone come back into the equity markets. But when I flip over to my credit markets monitor and I see where high yield CDX is, we just have not seen any follow through of the risk on uh, sentiment into the bond market. Uh, does you know, What do you make of this? Does this surprise you a little bit? Because I, I mean, I like to see all risk markets rallying in tandem to get kind of a, a real you know feel that these animal spirits are taking hold again. Um, if not, you know, then there's maybe some cause for caution still on our on our part. You know, what do you think? It's a great question, Steve. I've also been watching the uh, high yield markets and also the CDX markets for high yield. And it's very interesting that even if we see a little bit of relief that we've seen in the last week or so, it's not enough to really point towards that market rallying in any way. I think high yield in general has uh, had a couple of issues that are going on right now. One of them has to do with the uh, the amount of new issuance that we've seen in the high yield market that's also impacting where spreads in high yield go in general. But also we haven't seen that rally. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that if there is a recessionary scenario, uh, high yield is trading right now as if there is none. And I think all of that momentum in high yield and where spreads are in high yield right now, they should probably be at least two to 300 basis points wider, at least for cash spreads. And we haven't seen that. So that might cause some uh, point of caution, maybe, recessionary scenarios are kind of playing into that market that how does high yield perform in a recessionary scenario? As we said, we're advocates for high quality and many other shops are advocates for the same. I think that high yield is going to have to really figure out if they believe in the rally right now, if they believe that we can go tighter, but really when you're inside 500 basis points on a cash spread, it seems pretty tight. Some of the movement we saw in CDX uh, in the last couple of weeks, it started to go the other way. It started feeling like CDX was telling us something that maybe high yield needs to be wider. But just last week, we saw it coming a little bit. But I agree with you that we haven't seen enough 
momentum there to kind of equate it to what we're seeing in the equity market. So it almost sounds like the animal spirits are already baked into the into the credit markets, right? I mean, if we're if we're two to two to three hundred basis points narrower than maybe we should be, um, may, maybe it's it's hard for equity investors to really take a message from what's going on there, really. Correct. I would agree with that. A great perspectives, Rajiv and Steve. Thanks so much. And as our final guest speaker for today's podcast, we have Tina Myers, our director of financial planning, here to give us an update on the 2023 Social Security Trustees Report. So the first question that we'll start with for you, Tina, is what exactly is the report? Uh, So the uh, Social Security Trustees Report, it provides some extensive information about the actuarial status and financial operations of the Old Age and Survivors Insurance, which is the OASI, and the Disability Insurance, the DI Trust Fund. It's two separate programs, two separate legal entities, uh, but it provides that information and it combines those reserves into two funds and it it illustrates the actuarial status of the overall Social Security program over the next 75 years. And the most recent report was just issued basically back in March of this year. And what what were the findings? What what was the read on what the report shows us? Correct, yes. So they issue it every single year. And so the 2023 report came out and it said that the combined trust fund will be able to provide uh, to fund those benefits in full until 2034, which is one year earlier than the 2022 report. And if nothing changes, the combined trust fund payment will be able to pay, will drop down to 80% of scheduled benefits at that time. On the old age survivor insurance trust fund, it will be able to pay scheduled benefits until 2033, which is one year earlier than the 2022 report. And at that time, the OASI would be able to pay 77% of scheduled benefits. And then on the disability insurance trust fund, it's actually not projected to be depleted in the next 75 years, which is, which is a uh, good thing. That did not change from the prior year. So in a nutshell, that means that folks that are relying on Social Security as part of their income stream in retirement are going to take a haircut if the government doesn't do anything in the next 10 years to possibly fix some of the challenges that we're seeing in the funding. So what, what, do, you think, you know, what do you think clients should do about this? How, do, how would it affect clients and what, the, what should they do about this? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one is if they have a financial plan, um, I would suggest doing a stress test to that. And there, you could do a what if scenario if your social security benefits are cut. So let's say anywhere between 75 to 80%, um, either for those that are really young right now, um, let's say 30, 40 years old, you might wanna just um, drop it down to 80% of benefits. If you're a little bit older, Um, and you've already maybe started, um, well, haven't quite started collecting benefits, maybe after the year 2034, you might want to drop your benefits down to 80%. Now, I don't think if you've already started collecting benefits, I don't think that they would necessarily change um, those that are already collecting benefits. It's mostly for those, you know, future um, retirees that will be collecting benefits. And how is this 2023 report compared to some prior years and and any differences that we've seen? Um, Well, let's say the 2022 report said that it would be able to fund until 2035. And again, it would be able to pay 80% of benefits. Uh, The 2022 report 
said that it would fund um, until 2034 and it would pay 78% of benefits. So it's been bouncing around, you know, somewhere around 2034, 2035, anywhere between 75 to 80% of benefits. And, you know, 2021 was the year where um, I think it took into consideration the effects of COVID and the economic recovery started to show itself in the 2022 report and things like that. So I think since we're kind of now out of that COVID and the economic recovery phase, the 2023 report um, looks a little bit different this year. Well, given all the conversation in Washington, D.C. regarding the debt ceiling, this is a very timely topic to think about long term in terms of what we do in terms of spending for our folks that have certainly earned the Social Security and OASDI benefits going forward. So, Tina, thanks for joining us today on, uh, on the podcast, and uh, thanks for all the information. All right. Thanks, Brian. Well, thanks for the conversation today, Steve, Rajiv, and Tina. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by Keycorp 2023.